Hey, everybody. Happy Sunday. I hope everybody's had a fairly good weekend. I think some of you are ahead of me from Australia and places like that. But I hope you all you all had a good weekend. I know I did. And uh, this is our Sunday reading day. And this is the day that uh, this talk show reads from a paranormal-themed book. And the books I read from are permission, you know, I get permission from the, from the author. Plus, they're like I said, they're paranormal-themed, but they're, they're true paranormal things that people have gone through. So I'm, I'm reading this book by Michelle Zirkel right now. And uh, we're on the, on the fourth day of that, the fourth Sunday that, that we read it. And uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. You know, people, it's kind of funny because everybody out there in Facebook is watching and in the TikTok, excuse me, in TikTok and YouTube, they're used to me. And some of these people that watch this, that watch this show will carry me around their house and in their pockets while they clean house or do whatever or cook dinner. Cause this is the, this is the, you know, Sundays are meant to be lazy. So here we are lazy and so you can lay down on your couch you, you can turn the lights down low you can do whatever you want sit by your pool and just listen to me read to you from this book okay that's what we're looking for if you're watching from facebook and you haven't done so already please make sure that you follow me because i'm looking for followers also uh hit that like button those smiley faces and all that good stuff because the more you do the more the higher the algorithm we are right well, i didn't introduce myself either huh my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be the host for the next hour, California Haunts Radio. Going out live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and TikTok today. Um, we're trying to make this a weekly thing for TikTok. You know, I'm trying to get some consistency up with TikTok. So hopefully you guys like it. I know I know it's kind of hard to sit for an hour and hear somebody read, but it's a really good book. You guys got to trust me on this, okay? got to trust me. So please tap that screen over there at TikTok. Show me some love. Send me some of those hearts, please. The other thing, if, if you look at my uh, live goal today, you can see that I have a 50 taco live goal. And that's because Cinco de Mayo's Tuesday. I'm sorry. Cinco de Mayo's coming. I'm not going to say Tuesday. Is it Friday? I think it's Friday. Cinco de Mayo's Friday. And I want to have a Cinco de Mayo party here on TikTok. And so I decided I wanted to serve tacos. And I've got 50 tacos up there for my goal. I'm hoping you guys can help me out today and get as close to that 50 tacos as we possibly can uh, as part of my live goal. So if you can do that, I'd appreciate it too. Okay, if you're watching from YouTube, same thing goes for YouTube. If you like what you see here today, please be sure to hit that like button and those, that heart button because we want to keep rising in the algorithm. Hello, Pamela. Uh, um, that helps us rise up and, you know, so what it means is when we're higher in the algorithm, people can find us better. People can find us. So that would be great if you could do that. I'd appreciate it. Also, if you haven't done so already on YouTube and you uh, feel the need to, you can subscribe. There's a little but, uh, little ghost button down in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Click on that. The subscribe button will pop up. We're always looking for subscribers. You know, I've done some different things on YouTube. I've, I'm starting to categorize all the shows. I've got hundreds of shows over there, so I'm categorizing them to make it easier for you to go back to the archives of the shows and find the types of shows that you're most interested in seeing. Okay. All right. Well, the book uh, by Michelle Zirkel, we're in chapter eight today. So I'm really excited about that. And again, TikTok, please, please tap that screen. Get, get those hearts flowing today for me. Get those hearts flowing. And please help me uh, raise 50 tacos, 50 tacos for Cinco de Mayo, 50 tacos. All right. So again, we're in chapter eight. I cannot read your comments. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the capacity yet or the new tablet yet to be able to read anything that's coming up. You're on my iPhone right now. So I, I can see the thing moving, but I can't see the comments or anything like that. Okay. So just bear with me. Well, it's going to be the same thing with Facebook too, because I'm reading off a ebook. 
a Kindle ebook on my laptop. So that's where I'm getting the book from. So I won't be directly on to StreamYard to see your comments, but I see you right now. For everybody that's there, welcome. Okay, well, I'm going to read for about an hour, and this book is a very interesting book by, by this lady, Michelle Zirkel, and I had her on my show a few months back, and uh, I thought her story was so intriguing, the stuff that happened to her and her family in this house, and the fact that she thought it was a demon that was uh, coming after her family. So that's what we're starting to get into. It's starting to it's starting to get going here. And uh, a lot of it is water dripping in the house, water being sprayed around the house, things like that. So like I said, I mean, instead of sitting here watching me chit-chat, except for TikTok, I need, I need interaction on TikTok. I need screen tapping. I need to see some hearts come up. Show me some love. Show, show me some love. And show me some tacos. Love and tacos. It's a good combination, right? Love and tacos. All right, guys. Here we go. Uh, rain no evil. And I should read for about an hour. And uh, yeah, here we go. First, I got to push the button, right? Where's my button? There's my button. Okay. We are on chapter eight. Barney Badass. Let me make sure I find my spot to switch pages here. There we go. The boys bound through the door and slapped their books. The boys bound through the door and slapped their books on the counter. Kitchen cabinets are yanked open like munchkins, like, like the munchkins haven't eaten since Haley's Comet streaked across the sky. When I see my babies, a smile slides onto my face as easily as my foot into my well-worn Reeboks. Life for other children is much worse than those two have it. A roof over their heads, food in their bellies, and two imperfect parents who love them. Guys, I say, guess what? Well, there's no school tomorrow because of the special election. So we get to stay home with Papa Cal tonight. I've already packed your bags. Awesome, really? Ben says as he spots Pete's cruiser through the window. Why is Pete here? What's going on? Oh, waiting on your dad for a road detail or something, I say. Oatmeal cookies in hand, they both bolt to the cruiser to talk with Pete while I place protein bars in my bag for my 2 a.m. baby-saving nightmare-induced feeding. I'm glad I told Pete to keep the boys in the dark. They know too much already about their dad's necessary but unscrupulous practices. They don't need to worry about Barber. I toss the duffel bags into the car trunk, and, and we're off. I knew that was going to happen. Okay, and we're off to our hideout across the river. It's only a 15-minute drive from Dad's in Mudsock. Mudsock Heights to work. So even if we have to stay longer than the weekend, I won't have to wake up much earlier in the morning. Crossing the bridge into Ohio, the boys chatter about what activity to get into first at Papa's. Fish in the pond, ride the horses, or shoot blackbirds. I nix the last option, telling them that killing anything they aren't eating is just plain evil. I'm driving through DQ in a few minutes, I say. Make sure you know what you want. I know what I want. A table with a view overlooking the river at Cornerstone Quarry. Raspberry martini on my breath and oven-baked salmon against my palate. Never did get that birthday dinner. Maybe when things settle down, Alex and I can have a romantic dinner. Really tune into each other. Hey, Mom, how come Papa lives in muddy socks? Isaac asks. I blurt out a sound. I blurt out a sound something like, Baha, and say, Honey, Papa Cal lives in mud sock heights, not muddy socks. I lean out the window and request two combo meals in the drive-thru. Isaac, you know, maybe they should have called it muddy socks. The town got its name because of all the mud left over from a flood back in the 40s. The flood made roads impassable. 
People couldn't even travel on them with horses. The sock part means to sink. Appropriate. I feel like I'm drowning in a cesspool of insanity. I'm seeing things that that may not be in real. They may not be real in a house that sprung an invisible leak, even as the boys and I sink into a safe haven to avoid a madman. Order in hand. Isaac and Ben occupy their mouths while I occupy my mind with the mystery called God. The emerging beauty of pink dogwood blossoms and giant hanging oaks along the brick stretch of road displays a tangible possibility of God's existence. Something divine had to make this spectacle of fluttering colors against the misty backdrop of blue sky. All this couldn't have just exploded into being. That is unless a divine eminence could be exploding. I stop at the dry cleaners and pick up Alex's uniforms that have been ready for weeks. When I click the hangers onto the hook beside Ben, I get a hunch and reach into the pants pocket. I feel nothing, so I check the other pocket and pull out a gum wrapper. I've been wrong before, but I check the other pair anyway and retrieve a blue business card that says, Tudor's Textbooks. Stacy Chutney's contact information is printed on the bottom. Why would Alex need to get in touch with a textbook company that my friend Stacy works for? Is Stacy playing bad girl good cop with Alex? Even if Alex is messing around, I have no right to be upset with him. I stick, I stick the find in my purse, and the idea of Alex's possible infidelity into the overflow drawer of my mental file. Ben is rapping along with the radio, and Isaac's hamburger is hanging out of his mouth. And I know I have more important things to take care of than the likes of sleazy Stacy, even even if her. I'm going to try and get around this word. Even if her private is, is assessed as easily as the World Wide Web. Believe me, I couldn't say that word. Hearing the cadence of the brick road beneath the tires as we pass the only department store in Mudstock Heights. I'm nine years old again, pretending to be Nancy Drew, my bike bumping over waves of bricks as I scavenge the alleys, looking for an elusive villain who invades my imagination. Now I'm running from a real criminal, even running from my husband. Should run from men, period. How did my life get this crazy? I never expected to be a harlot, a whore reaching for a halo. If only the highway could hold me hostage. I'd drive like Forrest Gump runs. I'm sorry, I skipped it. It went up too fast. Let me... Where'd it go? Okay. Yeah, okay, hang on a second. Okay. I'll go back on that. I apologize. If only the highway could hold me hostage, I'd, dr- I'd drive like Forrest Gump runs. Never be a man's pin cushion or lollipop again. His protrusions could go stick and lick some other sucker. Stand I would on my own. The brick road meets gravel as I turn onto Cedar Lane where Japanese maples abound. A mile later, a honey pine log cabin snug by lilac bushes comes into view. To the right, a dock delves into the pond where a fishing boat patiently awaits company the boys will gladly provide. I follow the curved drive plank by pine trees and pull up to the garage where Dad is watering the the flowers, and the bush. His broad shoulders navigate the hose playfully near my car as the boys hop out, rushing to get a prized hug. When he isn't fishing, he's planting. Plants breathe life into him after Mom's leaving knocked the wind out of him. Other than the bald head partially hidden by a baseball cap, he doesn't look 65. I shut the door. Dad's eyes meet mine over spectacles that are riding on the ridge of his nose. Just seeing the understanding in his face makes me feel like melting. 
I make my way to him on the cobblestone path and fall into his waiting arms. He rubs my head. Oh, pumpkin. Papa, can you tell us a Barney badass story tonight? Isaac says, picking up the fishing pole, leaning against the rail. Who said you could say ass? Dad says, laughing. Didn't your mama teach you not to use such language? Ben says, oh, come on, Papa. You say we're your legacy, and that means we, we need to know your stories. Okay, I just slipped down, sorry. Okay, it's here somewhere. There it is. I wink at Dad. I'm doing something right, I say. Listen to that vocabulary, legacy. And look at these two gorgeous grandkids who are interested in old man's stories and tell me I'm not a good mama. The boys dodge Dad's rifle leaning against the porch rail and fly to the barn for their tackle boxes. Dad's been referred to us as Barney Badass by his neighbor to as, I'm sorry, Dad's been referred to as Barney Badass by his neighbors ever since he responded to the sound of glass breaking at old Mr. Fletcher's place next door and tackled Fletcher's 35-year-old son who was busting the house windows with his barren bleeding fists. The restrained boy, who, unbeknownst to Dad, was off his bipolar meds huffed. Get off me. You just think you're Barney Badass. Dad and I gravitate to the kitchen, where he hangs his cap on a hook by the back door and retrieves my dark chocolate from its special hiding spot behind the, the dusting claws. Boys haven't found it yet, he chuckles, through a toothpick teetering between his lips. Coffee? Tea? Jack? Jack and coffee, I say, getting a mug from the cabinet. Oh, honey, it must be bad. What's going on? Some lunatic, well, you remember. Bobby Barber, the criminal who took off with Alex's handcuffs that time. Dad nods slowly, his eyes trying to look through through his forehead as he pushes Brew on, on the Keurig. He's threatening me and the boys, even has pictures of us. So BCI is play, placing cameras at the house and staking it out in case he gets froggy and goes there. That's why we had to leave. I didn't want to tell you but kind of hard not to when I had to come here to sleep. Still nodding. Dad removes the toothpick and sucks on his teeth. He stares into space at a memory I can't see. Maybe of the stalking case he worked ten years ago where the victim was so disfigured by her attacker. She drove herself right off the ramp of an unfinished bridge. I know Dad's still pissed that he couldn't locate the guy who was suspected of using the lady's face as a carving board. He was a vagabond who moved through the area so quickly that not even his neighbors could describe what he looked like. I know. Makes you want to come out of retirement. How long has it been now? Four years? Six, he says, pouring a nip of whiskey before handing me the coffee. Cradling my mug, I saunter off to the living room. Dad chooses his leather, le leather recliner by the fireplace, worry reflecting from his eyes, eager to know more. He commanded respect when he was an officer. But didn't have the browbeat his family didn't have to browbeat his family into respecting him. We just did. He didn't just slip on a uniform and expect the fine folks of the world to lie to lie pro prostrate and groveling at the bottom of his green pant leg like Alex seems to. Flopping onto the couch, I gave an edited version of life in the Templeton household for the past week. Edited because I tell him about the mysterious water leak, saving the drowning girl, a possible mafia murder mystery my new pupil fresh out of prison, and Barbara's attempt to set fire to Alex's cruiser. Everything except the demon I saw in the mirror. I know I can't help it that I saw it, but I feel guilty because it showed up as if it were condemning me for committing adultery. Even if I'm wrong about why it showed up, I'm not really, I'm not ready to present my reasoning on the topic to anyone, especially my dad. 
He peers over his coffee. Good God, Savannah, you got to be making this stuff up. You should have told me about all this sooner. You're supposed to call the old bald guy when you need help. I didn't want you to worry. There's nothing you can do to fix the water, I snarl. Heck, we can't even find the leak that needs fixing. There's nothing you can do about any of it. But if you'd, but, but if you'd been at the levee, I, I, I'd have gladly let you jump in and get that girl. It was freezing. Well, figure out the water deal. Priority now is that you're out of, you're out of that maniac's reach and that he's within Alex's. Remember me telling you about the creep who threatened to kidnap you when you were eight years old? Dad, Dad rests his hands fingertip to fingertip on f- fingertip to fingertip on the on his khaki vest. When I caught wind of it, we had a little talk in his apartment. Pictures of you stepping into the school bus were on his kitchen table. I nod and sink deeper into the plush seat, feeling safe with Dad to my right and warm coffee in my hand. I feel like I'm barricading myself into my own hemlock tree, like I'm burrowing into my own side of the mountain, just like Sam in the novel I'm reading with my ninth graders. What happened to that creep? I say, feeling relieved to be able to open my mouth without being interrupted. Dad shrugs, the corners of his mouth twisting into a downward grin. The guy just up and moved. Darndest thing. Okay, over on TikTok, if, if, if you like what you're hearing, show me some love. Tap that screen. <clears throat> excuse me. Tap that screen and uh, send, send me some hearts. Send me some hearts. Also, if you can find it in your heart, I have a goal for 50 tacos today. If you could send me 50 tacos, that would be great too. So help me out. Help me out, guys. I grin, no doubt. He has pictures of Luce too? No. Your sister would have been five and home with. I draw a long slip of coffee, Mom. He avoids saying her name, but he doesn't need to remind me of her. Her memory... Hello? Okay. Okay. Her memory is always ready to rise when I come home. Like the homemade cinnamon roll she used to bake on Saturdays to tease our sleepy heads out of slumber. Admission to memory lane can be pricey. And I've spent... And I'm spent for the day. Dad, I say, think I'll settle in and read a while. Can you check on the boys? I retreat to my old room where a pink shag rug still hugs the hardwood floor and lava swirls inside of a silver lamp. Sitting on the plump white cushion in the bay bay window to write, I find myself gazing out my second story window and watching Dad's two horses frolicking in the pasture. Dad's already sitting beside the boys in their folding chairs. Must have decided not fool with the boat. Dad enjoys the boys as much as they do him. Mom's missing out, not being here to see her grandkids grow up. But why should I care when it's obvious she doesn't? She must be content to watch them grow up via pictures. Grandma Lenny, when she was still living, would send in the mail. Mom even missed my wedding. Her absence was felt more than her actual presence would have been. That's but a trinket in my collection of grudges I've, I've carried over the years. Guess she's not the only one who gets punished for her choice. Reneging on her promises to Dad. I'm so scared to emulate her that I stay with Alex despite the peril to my heart and mind. But that's the penalty for leaving us. No invitation to participate in our most joyous moments. The word joyous lingers in my head along with the image of tears in Alex's eyes when he said, I do. And I know he did. He may not anymore, but once he loved me. We were happy. And for that matter, Mom and Dad appeared to be. Dad told me that they received a proper bell shower, as did every newlywed couple in the 60s. 
I imagined this very yard full of friends and family clanging their pots and pans, knowing mom and dad want to be alone on their wedding night and waiting for the aggravated bride and groom to bring a gift of some sort, food, clothes, household items, up to the noisy crowd, bribing them to go away. Mom's mom, Grandma Lenny, raised her, raised her. She didn't bow out of her responsibility. A thought enters my mind, one I don't want to entertain, but maybe I won't let Alex see the real me, the sensitive, caring real me, because I feel unworthy to be loved. My mom didn't love me enough to hang around and raise me. If a mom can't love me, who can? God is supposed to love unconditionally, but I don't see the results of that either. He's certainly not helping my marriage get any better. Even when I was faithful, Alex still talked to me like I couldn't process information via the English language. He doesn't respect me, and I don't know how to make him. It may be too late for us to even have a chance at a mutually loving relationship, at least with each other. After all, I've allowed him to treat me like a harlot for years, a harlot with a ring on her finger that says to the world, I need a man in order to be somebody because I'm so stupid. I watch Isaac cast his pole in the pond, and suddenly I realize I'm enveloped in silence. A little spat between the boys, or a hum of the washer, I'd welcome right now. But the faint tinkle of wind chimes funneling from the terrace below is my only distraction. Grandma Lenny always said that with the clinking of wind, ch wind chimes comes change. I smile up toward a pillow in the sky, imagining Grandma blowing the wind to rattle the chime just for me, her way of beaming me home or hope from heaven. The strain of silence is too much. I reach to the dresser, realizing my former confidant from her jewelry box, releasing, I'm sorry, releasing my former confidant from her jewelry box, and watch her spin in a pool of satin to Tchaikovsky's a nutcracker. My precious ballerina. She's heard more of my dreams than I can remember. Dreams of being saved from captivity, like Queen Guinevere, was by Sir Lancelot. Dreams of being an extraterrestrial spy sent here to discreetly disseminate truths to humans. Or of solving neighborhood mysteries like a clever Nancy Drew. But the one I entertained the most was of being able to fly like the birds. I was jealous of them like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, who questioned why bluebirds could fly over the rainbow and she couldn't. My ballerina twirls as I listen to the ballad and write in my journal. As a girl, I can't read this stuff, I'm going to read a little bit. As a girl, I know I had the power inside me to change the world now. As far as I, I can get on the journal, guys, sorry. All right, over there on TikTok, send me some love. Hit that screen, show it. Send those, send those hearts, send those likes, and help me out with my goal for my uh, 50 tacos. Can you give me uh, 10 tacos? 10 tacos. I'll ask you for 10 tacos. I jut into the bathroom to brush my teeth and hear giggles from downstairs. I pause on the landing and listen to Dad tell how Barney Badass delivered dog poop in a pizza box to his irritating neighbors when they let their dogs do their business in his yard. A U-Haul was in their drive the following week. Papa, you're so funny, Isaac says. Ben says, cool. And now I know why Freud said girls want to marry their daddies. About seven in the morning, a woodpecker at my bedroom window pecks me awake. I snap the covers off and, getting a whiff of coffee, realize I'm not in my house. No one there makes coffee except me. Holly Hobby is waving for my quilt, and I know Dad's in the kitchen flipping eggs. Before Mom left us for the preacher, she'd griddle a golden breakfast and yell up, Pancakes and patty winks, get them while they're hot. Patty winks for colorful pancakes, smiling, 
the strategically placed M&Ms below the strawberry eyes of a blackberry and a blackberry nose. Sometimes the berries would melt, making my breakfast cake look like it was crying red. Maybe there was an oracle on my plate, my warning that even if I bled in order to be the best Rachel Ray I could be, I'd never please my future husband in the kitchen. I grab a tissue, blowing away my congested memory, and stop off to the bathroom. Uh, bathroom, sorry, crying it. Crying is for the weak. Even Alex knows that. The one thing we agree on. My tears aren't red. But with the thoughts of Mom and Alex already swishing around in my head, I feel like I'm bleeding. Breakfast and a cold jog later finds me running past the horses, nibbling on their morning hay, wishing I could outrun the memories lapping at my heels. But they're as relentless as the water I'm sure is still spraying inside my house. A mile later, I round back to Dad's driveway where the boys are shooting BB guns at pop cans perched on a hay bale. Stepping through the front door, Dad says, Savvy, Alex called, and coffee's made. I grab my cup of comfort and follow the sound of Dad's voice, finding him writing checks at his mahogany desk in the study that sits off from the living room. I pry the the black baseball cap from my sweaty head and slump down in the chair nearest the bookshelf housing, the classics of Homer, and Dostoevsky, alongside New Age, by, Je- by, by James Renfield and Edgar Casey. Still paying bills the old-fashioned way, I ask, swiping the cotton sleeve of my hoodie along my forehead. I trust the mailman more than I do the cyber thieves, he says, removing his glasses and placing them on the pile of bills eliminated by the desk lamp. The police apprehended Barber. I force myself to swallow. I'll have to go home. Great, I say, as optimistically as I can. Where'd they get him? Dumb idiot was staying at his girlfriend's a county over. Been drinking a shot off a few rounds. Oh, been drinking a shot off a few rounds of his pistol. Neighbors heard and called the law. Alex was with BCI at your house when, when the call. Oh, so that's why Barbara's still breathing, I say, smacking the arm of the chair. Another department got on scene first. Yep, poor old soul doesn't know how being an idiot spares, spared him some misery. Dad rips an envelope open with a smooth metal object. I wish Alex had gotten to him. Put the fear of God in him, or put him out of his misery altogether. Dad swirls his chair notch, looking out the window to where Ben is aiming his red rider at a pop can. There's so much as a fingernail on that precious hand of yours. Dad, I can take care of myself, you know. I say, I'm wondering if I'll ever be able to take control of the reins of destiny to my life. You taught me well. Shoot first, and then call you to bury the body. Dad tips back, looking at me over his shoulder, a smile crossing his face. My baby girl has her own babies. A faint ping reaches us as the BB enters Ben's tin can. Glancing out the window, Dad says, Those are two fine shots right there. Those boys are going to make a career out of law enforcement, or my name isn't Barney Badass. As I'm raising my coffee to a high-air cheers, cheers, the screen door slams and Ben yells, Isaac fell in the pond. I don't remember running, don't remember jumping in, or the cold water engulfing me, but I do remember gripping my baby's chest, his flailing arms splashing water up in my nostrils as I grab the rubber fishing pole handle. Dad extends. Dad extends. I remember shoving Isaac toward Ben, and Ben bending down from the dock, pulling Isaac out while Dad secured my arm. I am aware my foot is sinking into the mushy bank, and I sprawl out beside Isaac, was coughing and trying to talk. Everything's okay, buddy, Dad says, stroking Isaac's forehead and turning to Ben. What happened? 
Ben says, I just heard a splash and looked up and saw him in the pond. Isaac stops hacking up water and whispers, Mom, I can't swim. I want to say, too bad you weren't doing it then, but I don't. He's just about drowned and I'm just glad he's okay. Dad latches onto Isaac's triceps and pulls him to his feet, hobbling with him toward the house, Ben and I silently following. We dry off and gather by the fireplace. How'd you fall in, I ask. I was reaching for a bobber, but I could have got up myself. Isaac says, jiggling his head like a bobblehead. You about drowned me. Isaac accepts you you about yeah, you about drowned me. Isaac accepts a cup of hot cocoa. Dad hands him and takes a snip. Maybe he was swimming when I jumped in. I honestly don't remember how. I reached him and the conclusion I just don't remember how I'm sorry. I honestly don't remember how I reached the conclusion that he was drowning. Maybe you overreacted because of what happened with that girl in the river, Dad says, reading my mind and handing me a warm mug. Why don't you just let the boy stay with me this evening, Savannah? You're exhausted and have enough to deal with at home. I'll make sure they stay away from the pond. The horses need to be ridden and brushed. Taking a sip of the chocolate, I shoot a smile Dad's way. My drink spiked with whiskey. Okay, then. You talked me into it. I'd stay, too. But with the incessant water everywhere, Alex is probably going crazy. I say, picturing him in a straitjacket, helpless, just like he makes me feel. The boys flip on SpongeBob and Dad says the stairs, returning a minute later with my bag. I could have gotten that, I say. Makes an old man feel useful, he says, settling in his recliner. I hug the boys and bend over Dad, draping my arm around his neck. Dad, let's celebrate Lucy's and my birthday next week. Not... Not up to it tomorrow. On my way home, I pick up a deli chicken at the market and scurry to the checkout lane where a delicious-looking guy with bronze skin is scanning a package of Insure for the elderly lady in front of me. She's rooting in her change purse for coins, so I press against the conveyor belt and read the cashier's name, Joe. Joe smiles at her, sweet of him. Why do old people need to pay exactly the right amount? I wish she'd just swipe... I wish she'd just swipe her card and be done with it, but the old woman is still fumbling enough through her handbag. Her wrinkled hand delicately places a penny into Joe's hands. His, her veins are barely noticeable by the transparent, are very noticeable by the transparent skin on her hand. Skin so thin, it reminds me of what mine looked like the night I saw the demon in the mirror, except mine displayed swirls of energy instead of veins. I run my fingers over the smooth skin of my left hand and notice my wedding ring. I feel important donning the two carats. The size and clarity of the, of the prince's cut shows the world that I'm worthy of a man's love, but that satisfaction may not be worth the disdain I have for myself for not honoring that commitment that it represents. I know it's just a hand, the rock on it only a symbol, but it's a tangible reminder of Alex's love for me, even though it now represents a marriage that's on the rocks rather than the solid love that cell love and union it once did. Reaching in my purse for my wallet, the business card I found in Alex's pants at the dry cleaners yesterday tumbles out and onto the floor. I pick it up, my heart pounding, as I realize I must investigate the seemingly secretive connection between my friend Stacy Chutney and my husband. I'm going to be old and wrinkly one day and don't want to regret squandering my useful good looks and opportunities for pleasure. No siree, I'm not going to wait to go coin bobbing 
with wrinkled hands just to get a smile when I can have Joe's whole package now. I dig a scrap of a scrap piece of paper from my purse and scribble my cell number on the back. The Samoa-looking clerk dismissively says, Hello, as he rings up my chicken. All right, then. A challenge. Old Joe's not ignoring me. He doesn't know what he's missing out on. When I hand him a 20 with my scribbled number on top, I fold my hand over his. He cocks his head to the side, his naked eyes dazzling with intrigue. I wink. Just in case you'd like to get together. His eyes dart toward the cash register as he fumbles for ones, rips my receipt off, and turns back to me. His hand hovers above mine as he stammers, Thank you. Oh, you'll be thanking me, I think. I'm good at this game. I'm pulling in the drive to the house and notice several vehicles I don't recognize parked around back by Alex's unmarked cruiser. Maybe Barbara escaped. It wouldn't be the first time, but I can't believe he'd be stupid enough to come here. With Alex's reputation, Conan the Barbarian himself wouldn't tiptoe through Alex's two tulips. Hurrying to the kitchen door, I hear muffled voices coming from upstairs, and Alex in the living room saying, He's castrated. His voice conveys no sense of urgency, so Barbara must not be loose. I pass through the kitchen, eyes fixed on Pete, who's facing me from his position on the couch. The navy uniform Pete's wearing complements his ocean blue eyes. My cheeks feel like they're in the slot of a toaster when he smiles at me. So what's going on, I ask. When I saw all the cars, I thought maybe Barbara had escaped already. Pete's uncle's trying to get to the bottom of this water thing, Alex says, smacking a fist onto his palm. Pete says, yeah, he's good. Done just about done just about anything you can think of when it comes to Bill. Where's the boys, Alex asks. It's not just me, he interrupts. Any thought that springs into his abyss of a head splurts out like steam from a tea kettle. Dad's bringing them back tomorrow, I say, turning to Pete. Uncle Greg, Uncle Greg works for a construction company in Coaltown that builds houses from the ground up, Pete says. If it's broke, he can fix it, guaranteed. He brought some of his workers with him today. Thanks, Pete, I say, setting the rotisserie chicken on the bar. God knows we need the help. How long have the workers been here? About 15 minutes, Pete says. I look at Alex. I heard you say somebody needs castrated. Alex nods, his eyes appearing to be stained glass as he relates an unsavory tale of a child abused the abuse of the MT degree. The accused, a 22-year-old high school dropout who I had in class five years ago, has explained in a statement to Alex that he'd used Vaseline for the job. Pete closes his eyes while I say a silent prayer for the poor baby and solemn and solemnly head out to retrieve my overnight bag from the car. I can tell Alex truly cares about the hurt child, about any child that's been abused in any way, but particularly the ones who are poked or prodded. I wish he could show a fraction of that tenderness toward me. I can understand why he has to hide his emotions on the job. Being hard at work makes him more effective officer and probably helps him feel immune and protected from the violence he sees firsthand, but I wish he didn't need protection from me. I remember Alex's first child abuse victim, how Alex teared up as he laid pictures of a bruised and swollen two-year-old across the countertop of the kitchen, explaining that the little boy had been slammed against the wall and killed by his stone father. I remember Alex jerking away when I placed my hand on his back, and how he said, now you know what I deal with every day. I remember feeling inadequate, not knowing how to comfort him, but wanting to. 
Alex knows I'll never really see the atrocities he does on a daily basis, but he doesn't know I have my own demon. It's only shown up once, but if I knew that committing adultery would prompt another visit, I'd swear off men for good. I hope that stone father saw his demon and that it scared the wickedness right out of him. The images of this figure toddler haunted me for days. I insisted he never bring gruesome photos home again and was grateful he, he complied. He, his sharing of the photo with me was his way of releasing his anger at the perpetrator of, of the atrocity. But I wasn't prepared for the graphic descriptions of violence to infiltrate our daily dinner conversation as he figured out how to deal with the repulsive crimes and diabolical people he encountered on his job. I'm glad Alex found a way to cope. He became the cue stick that knocks cue ball perverts into the plush pockets of the federal prison, even though the scumbags deserve to be lowered into one six feet down. I just wish Alex didn't have to shield his heart around me. Having retrieved my groceries, I reach for the doorknob, and the door opens towards me, knocking me off balance. A man I've never seen before is standing in the doorway. He apologizes and steps back inside, allowing me to enter. A familiar voice says, Good to know I'm not the only one who stumped. Keegan, I didn't know you were here too. I say, sliding my bags out of the counter and scoping out the short, stocky guy who introduced himself as Pete's Uncle Greg. Keegan's picking up, picking his fingers and leaning against the bar where the two other men I've never seen before are planted. If I didn't know we were having a party, I say, I'd have baked a cake. So you're all stumped? I've never seen anything like it, ma'am, Uncle Greg says. Me and my guys... Just inspected every spur inch of this place and can't find a leak. Searched the attic, not one ounce of water. The chimney isn't leaking either, and even with the faucets all turned on, there is no water visibly leaking from anywhere. Did you get to see the spray? I ask. Yes. Well, we heard it spray from somewhere in the bedroom, Greg says, brushing, his flakes, of, brushing flakes of insulation from his round midsection, and saw water coming down the walls. We didn't actually see it spray, though. Damnedest thing I ever experienced in my whole convoluted life. I know, I say. I was beginning to think I was imagining the sprays. Any suggestions? Unless a pipe bursts or something, well, I just don't know what to tell you. Greg shakes his head. A dehumidifier might be a bad, might not be a bad idea. It's so damp, this whole place feels like a catacomb. A cat what? Alex asks from the living room. Greg replies, damp in here like a catacomb. Oh, Alex says. No doubt I'll be defining for him later. As I head upstairs and over the creaky stairs, that I wish I'd have asked Uncle Greg to make stop creaking, Pete and Alex speculate about suspects in the Russia, Russia, Russia burglaries at the local gambling establishments. In my room, I peruse the, sta the stack of books I'm reading and choose the ones that discusses the esoteric significance of the Wizard of Oz. I'm reading how the Yellow Brick Road symbolizes our journey to a spiritual enlightenment and the ruby slippers are innate ability to maintain our passion for life, but Alex yells up that he has to run to the office to complete his weekly report. That's due tomorrow. Okay, honey, I yell back, fitting his paperwork. Okay, I yell, I yell back, fitting his paperwork likes it slapped on the butt. Okay, we'll go with that. A few hours later, I'm tucking jeans and shirts into my closet when Alex closes in from behind, sliding his arm around my waist and nibbling at my neck. His silent apology for being a jerk over the drywall deal. I guess. Or maybe he's just glad I was safe from Barber. The nibbling morphs, morphs. And with a fuzzy line of consciousness. 
I imagine Stacy Chutney watching Alex make love to me, watching forlornly as Alex ignores her and ravishes me. I was making him happy long before he even knew her name. I want to connect with Alex, even if it is just by molding our physical frames into one body. We spin through the hall and into the bedroom, Alex's sturdy hands spreading wide, grasping the back of my head. My chin extends as he yanks on a handful of hair and smooches hungrily at my neck. We fall back on the bed, our eyes meeting with mutual desire. Okay. He lowers his face to my ear, framing my face with his hands and whispers, I love you, Sav. His words sweep over me, enveloping me in a cocoon of safety. He wants me. He loves me. This is how I want to feel every day. Our bodies smash against each other, yearning for closer contact, if that's possible. We smolder with a still, with a still desire until barely moving. until barely moving. Alex rolls off me, and I lie still, hoping the harmonious union we just experienced means we're destined to be together, and that all we need to do is stay together to carry this compatibility into our lives outside of the bedroom. Chapter nine. Okay, guys, uh, over at TikTok, keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that. Keep tapping that screen. Show, show me some love. Show me some love. And if you find it in your heart to help me out, help me out with some tacos because I have a taco goal set up. So. Uh, Keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. Same thing over on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Please hit those like buttons. Hit those like buttons. Creamsicle Chakra. I look pearly and curl up in front of the TV with the husky voice of Joyce Meyer droning on the show in the background. I wonder if it's possible for Alex and I to be in sync in matters of the mind as we're in as we are in sensual intelligence gathering on each other's naked bodies. Suddenly, the lady preacher from the TV belt top, speak what you want as if it already exists. My hand goes limp around my pen as I listen. God spoke the, wor- the world into existence. Words are powerful. Creating our world using words is an integral part of displaying faith. Speak what I want into existence? Can I actually do that? If what I learned as an apostolic teen is true, God created the world by speaking it into being, but I don't know how I could create my whole world by doing that too. I grab my journal and write, my fingers sliding and scribbling to catch up with my racing mind. As I close my journal, vowing to read the street, uh, vowing to read the secret and take my chances on it, turning me to the dark side, a flash of light eliminates the cover of my journal for a moment. I lift the book toward the natural light coming into the window and try to replicate the flash, but I can't make it happen. I don't know if what I'm seeing is real or imagined. All I know is I want whatever is going on to stop, or at the very least, to understand it. I'm scrambling eggs as the naked Alex trudges into the kitchen and swipes a piece of bacon from the platter. Why did you get up so early? he asked, frowning. I look at the grandfather clock standing erect in the core living room. I'm an hour into my day, and already he's finding fault. Didn't realize it's only eight. Just thought I'd make breakfast, I say, attempting to foster the intention of copacetic marriage. I, host, I hoist my glass of orange juice above my head and grin. I worked up an appetite last night. You know what time it is if, if, you, turn the, if you turn the chimes on in the thing, he says, glancing at the clock and rubbing his broad chest. His fuzzy... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, okay, we're gonna leave it at that. It'd help if you'd set if you'd set the darn thing too. It's an hour later than it shows. Clocks were supposed to be set forward today for the daylight savings. Well, heck, I say, I won't be ready in time to get to church. I scrape eggs on onto a plate and 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 hand them to my husband. Clock chimes drive me crazy, but I like wind chimes. I say, wondering if the change that Grandma Lenny said accompanies the sound of wind chimes also applies to clock chimes, and if so, maybe it'd be worth replacing the batteries so they would dong every hour. Sundays at Grandma's were different than they are here. I felt like I, I, I felt like the cherry nestled inside a piece of fine chocolate rather than a slab of rotted cheese. I gave up croquet off and followed a candy yet. I often follow candy yams and meatloaf dinner. I can hear the garage door scraping open and loose in me arguing. The taste of butter still on our lips from the homemade rolls as we bickered over who got to be red, the coveted color. Grandpa, happy, as every as everyone called him, even though his name was rather bland, Dave, would prop open lawn chairs as I, I lugged the rickety croquet cart across the pavement behind little Luce and me, stepping over the cracks of the concrete along the way. To step on a crack was to break your mother's back, or so it was said. Mom was still around then, and I didn't want to take any chances on causing her pain. Often a few neighbors would stroll across the brick street, joining Grandma and Grandpa in the web chairs for a glass of iced tea as they shared the neighborhood watch report, which was always contained, which always contained gossip gleaned from Grandma's latest beauty shop visit. I preferred sprawling in the grass to sitting in the chairs anyway. The webbing was unraveling on them, and the fibers would itch my bare legs. Croquet balls would clink into each other in the whole ridden side yard that Grandma and Grandpa had, years before, and ceded ownership off to the moles. When I'd smack the mallet too hard, the balls would crack into each other with such force they sounded like they'd broken. To my amazement, they never did. Maybe Alex and I won't break either, I think sliding into a chair beside him at the table. I thought you'd stay in bed a while this morning, Alex says, setting his plate of eggs on the table. Thought we'd... Never mind. But I do mind. What he means by lay in bed is that he hoped I'd please him this morning, but I pretend I don't get the innuendo. Can't he just appreciate that last night was nice? A good start to build from? I was in the mood to write. Just be nice if you'd ever be in the mood to spend time with me, Alex says. I'd like nothing more than to believe my husband isn't the tin man. That he truly wants to spend a leisurely morning in bed with me in his arms and not and not just other stuff. Maybe if he could apologize for the times his words have crushed me like an aluminum can beneath his feet, I could accept that the softer side of him still exists. Then I could believe that he really wanted to lounge around in bed this morning, playing footsies and tickling me. I push my half-eaten plate of eggs to the center of the table. The thought of anything in my mouth makes me want to gag, and I force myself to talk. The plumbers will be here at 3.30 tomorrow afternoon, so I'll just cut out as soon as the bell rings. Alex soaks his toast in a busted egg yolk. How much is that going to be? $75 for the service call. Gee, they better find out what's... As if summoned, water shoots across the kitchen ceiling, splashing me and then dripping like it's tap water on my head. I'd pay $175 for a relief from this drenching, but I stayed quiet and squeezed dry my hair with a napkin. Not much pretense left in my frazzled head. 
Keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen over there on TikTok, please. Keep tapping that screen. Show me some likes. Let's see if we can get up to a thousand likes today. We sit in silence. Alex takes his last few bites of breakfast and traipses out the side door without saying a word. Maybe he thinks that if he ignores the water, it'll go away. Maybe that's what he thinks about me. About noon, a car door slams and the rugrats scuttle into the house. We went to church with Papa and he's taking us to Dairy Queen, Ben says. Want to go? What a question. I plant a kiss on Ben's cheek, flop my arm around Isaac's shoulders and say, don't say anything to your dad about falling in the pond. I didn't tell him. Dad must have bribed the boys with DQ to get them inside his church doors where the long, where the long services almost always include a miracle healing, demon removal, or prophecy in tongues, all included free of charge. The last time he took them was last summer, and they both said they wouldn't go back. I hop in the front seat of Dad's Silverado, and he says, Hey, baby girl. I grin up at my daddy, expanding the boy's view on religion, huh? Dad clamps his jaws on a toothpick. You betcha. As we walk back out, I wave to Alex, who's raking the gravel driveway. He throws up a hand. I'd ask him to join us, but he wouldn't anyway. He seems to prefer to work my com- he seems to prefer work to my company in any given day. But I'm gonna create my world. My marriage, and it's gonna be a nice one. I'll bring Alex a milkshake. He'll like that. I reach towards the back seat and snap my fingers. How'd you guys like the service today? People there raised their hands, Ben says, and ran around the church talking Spanish or something. I choked down a laugh. There was there was electricity in the air, Isaac says. You mean electricity? I say, looking at Dad, who's staring at the rearview mirror like he's anticipating, anticipating Jesus himself to appear between Ben and Isaac and shock them into, into reference. Into reverence. Isaac says, yeah, it was electric. My arms were all tingling like when they fall asleep. Hell, maybe I should have gone. I thought Ryan was the only one who could make my arms tingle. Arms couldn't even sleep there. Too loud, Ben says, covering his ears. Paw Paw Cal's church believes that when a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, God enters their body and spirit, form called the Holy Ghost, and they pray in a new language. I say, it's called the gift of tongues. The disciples knew they had it when fire appeared over their heads. I tell them how my rite of passage into the land of salvation occurred when I was seven. I remember fearing I would enter the fiery gates of hell if... The gift of tongues didn't blow my way like it blew into the upper room of the day of Pentecost. So I prayed harder and faster until, by golly, I felt the draft. Words rolled off my tongue as if an ancient Egyptian was channeling through me. Wow, you got a fire spirit inside you, Mom, Isaac asked. I twist over the console. Isaac's mouth is open so far that with a little more effort, I can see his tonsils. Dad's laughing and crying, his face contorted like he's going to sneeze, a grapefruit on his nose. Gravel crunches under the tires as he eases his Silverado back on the road. Ben's gaze flows from Isaac to me as I smile and decide how I can best explain the intangible, unseen Holy Spirit that just last week I declared may not exist. Well, at least the God that sent it may not. I smack Dad's arm and Ben says, Mom, really? Was there fire on your head when you got the Holy Ghost? She's a fireball, all right. Always has been, Dad says, still laughing, as he as he pulls the ice pulls in the ice cream shop. 
I wallop it on the arm again and say, ah, I hadn't thought about it quite like that, bud. But yep, guess that makes me one hot mama. Mom, Ben says. No, honey, there was no fire on my head, but I do believe God's spirit is in me. I say, thankful the boys' doors are open and they're ready to disembark. I don't want to have to validate my salvation status right now. I order a sherbet, orange for my sacral chakra. At least that's the color of one of my books I'm reading says is my base chakra. I've never seen a chakra, so I'll have to take the author's word for it. Meditating on the color corresponding to one of the seven chakras, or wheels of energy, while imagining energy coursing from the base of my spine to deep inside the earth is supposed to ground me. Alex would laugh his butt off if he knew I'm practicing visualization techniques to stay calm and balanced. But for me, desperate times call for spiritual measures. And I'm beginning to feel that spiritual isn't necessary, necessarily synonymous with religious. Our favorite booth by the, t- by the only TV in the building is available, so we made ourselves at home and licked into our mouths of creamy sugar. I spoon a mouthful of dreamy coldness in and picture the cold hue of orange sliding down my throat, melting me into the ground right here below my table. What a tasty way to touch base with Mother Earth. While I attach an invisible line from my butt to the ground, Ben babbles on about an older gentleman at church who recommitted his life to God. Ben says he re-caught the Holy Ghost as if it were a cold he caught. Isaac perks up. The other lady got the ghost this morning at Papa's church. She kept saying, ah, banana, ah, banana, and doing this. He flings his hands into the air precariously. Yes, precariously close to the ice cream pile in men's cone and makes an S shape like he's doing a wave at a concert. Dad snores himself into a coughing fit, tears dripping from his chin and his onion rings. He pops the plastic lid off his cup of water, chugging and coughing until he can talk. That's that's God's language for ba banana split. I giggle. My invisible orange chakra anchoring me in this moment to what I will one day to what one day will be the good old days. The days when Dad laughed himself into a tizzy over Isaac's invitation of a of a convert who recited her fruit order in tongues. I'm glad Dad's not a stodgy religious fanatic. Just a bald-headed, God-searching guru with a sense of humor as deep as a chocolate shake he's slurping. On the way home, Dad says, I called Luce and filled her in on your crazy week. She wondered why she hadn't heard from you. She figured you were busy, but holy moly, neither one of us knew you were living in Barnum and Bailey Circus Act. If you like what you hear, tap that screen over there. Tap that screen over TikTok. Tap, 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 tap. Tap that screen. Put those likes out, YouTube and Facebook. Put those likes out. I tell him that yesterday a house full of men couldn't figure out where the water's coming from, and Dad offers to check it out, even though his expertise in criminal investigations exceeds that of carpentry skills. I assure him he'll get the chance to inspect every crevice of the plug if the plumbers come up dry-handed tomorrow. At home, I'm squeezing soap under the faucet in the kitchen when Alex bursts through the door. Damn truck's got a flat tire. So what the hell else can happen around here? I'm leery of addressing that question. Out loud. Please tap the screen. I'm looking for likes. Please tap the screen. Tap that screen. And welcome, 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 everybody that's coming in. I, I, I see you guys coming up. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm leery of addressing that question out loud. I'm pretending the woozy sensation in my head is a sugar rust 
rush from the server, um, Sherbert, and nod at his treats, and, and Alex nods his treats sitting on the counter. Got you a milkshake. Did you hear what I said, woman? My tire's flat. You're talking about ice cream. Alex takes a deep breath, his lips welding together as if to say no air will be coming out that way. He stomps his 300 pounds across the kitchen, looking like a locomotive about to expel steam. My hands ache for something to hold on to. I plump the dry towel lying on the counter, wringing the plush cotton over and over, and manage to swallow. I heard you, I say, focusing on the bubbles in the dishwasher. Some are popping, and some are climbing under the existing ones, like they're striving to reach the summit in their existence, and I realize that's what I want to be, a bubble, and reach, from, and reach my full potential before I pop. I can't fix the tire. Just thought you'd like a treat. I tip my head in an attempt to look worthy of affection, like the abused babies I know he cares about. I barely have treat out when his pointed finger seems to stab me from across the room. Of course you can't fix it. Have you ever fixed anything in your whole life? Wow. So that's what he thinks of me. Excuse me, my allergies. I'm not just stupid. I'm inept and lazy. With everything I do here, bills, laundry, grocery shopping, housework, ball games, birthday parties, and oh yeah, that thing on the side called teaching, and none of it qualifies me as a hard worker. None of it is enough for him. I watch my hands scrubbing house rounds that are dried into a plate. It's as if the hand belongs to someone else. I feel detached from my body. Guess the chakra grounding didn't work. And to think he actually wondered why I didn't hang out in bed with him. He really doesn't understand why I don't enjoy being around him. Pathetic. Why you have to be so mean, I say, almost pleading for an apology. For pity, and I know it. But I don't care. I just want to feel better. It checks up in real fast, you guys. Let me check. Okay, yeah, okay. Want to make sure because I've been clicking this thing on it, the, the mic on and off, the work I've been doing. <laughs> you guys can still hear me. Okay. Again, if you're watching from TikTok, if you're over on TikTok and you're coming in, welcome. Uh, we read every Sunday from a paranormal theme book for an hour. And we're just about wrapped up on our hour right here reading from it. Rain No Evil. And it's based on the true story. So if you like what you hear, please, I'm looking to collect likes. So please, please, please. Send me some likes. Keep tapping on that screen. Alex jerks my purse from the counter and swims his hand around inside. Mean? You think I mean? You should live with the buttholes out there. No good bums. Never worked a day in their lives. He smacks my purse back on the counter. Where the hell are your keys? I come home every night. Don't go out drinking and partying like the other guys do. Buy you anything you want. Take you on vacation. And you're still not happy, he grips the checkbook. I can just imagine the hole he's boring through the back of my head with his eyes. I can't conjure up the energy to explain why I want what I want. Not again. He doesn't understand my love language and probably never will. He is right, though, about the stability he offers me. I could do worse than an egotistical money-making butthead. He's also right about me being unhappy, even though I have a million reasons to be happy. I'm healthy and have two boys, who I love more than Frosty loves snow. I have a career that allows me to be off in the summer with them. But, if I've got it made, why do I feel so alone and misunderstood and empty? I turn to face the stranger I've been married to for 14 years, my palms swiveling toward the ceiling like I'm offering them 
to be pierced for crucifixion. I am happy, I say, but I hear the lie. I just, just wish you'd stop screaming at me. I catch a movement out of my peripheral. Ben's standing in the doorway of the living room. Arguing shouldn't be a spectator sport, especially a kid's. So I smile at him and take the edge off the tense vibe in the air, knowing it's too late. I wasn't screaming, Alex roars, his voice echoing off the walls, his eyes darting madly about until they settle on Ben. Well, I wasn't, but I am now. Alex looks at me. You make me so mad. He opens the side door and hesitates. You gonna give me the keys to your car or not? They're in the ignition, I say. The door slams. No lecture on proper po- protocol on car theft protection. Lucky me. Ben must feel as terrible as I do after hearing Alex. It's my job to smooth this over, cheer him up. I dangle a bag of re- ready to bake cookies his way. Your dad's just mad because the truck is a flat tire. I place a few rounds of dough on the baking stone and look up. Ben's staring at the tile floor in a daze. There's a nail in the tire, he says, like he's amazed to be saying it. Forget the cookies. I stare at Ben. What? How'd you know that? I just know it. The frown on Ben's face tells me he's confused as I am. Honey, I don't understand. Did you see a nail in the tire? Ben nods slowly. Dad will have to back the truck up to see the nail. It's in the tire. The part you can't see that's on the ground. I don't understand. How'd you see it if it's not, you know, if it's under the tire? I didn't really see it, Ben says, staring as if he's looking through me. I just saw it in my head. I don't want Ben to freak out, even though I am. So, as casually as I can, I tell him I'll have that. I'll have his dad look under the tire when he gets back from wherever he went. Probably the auto parts store. Twenty minutes later, I hear my car pull in, and I approach Alex in the back, in the back of the garage where he's inspecting the truck tire. Did you check under the tire, like where you can't see? Maybe something's in it. I don't dare mention the nail. He'll know I'm not that lucky of a guesser, and will wonder how I knew it was there. Besides. There may not be one in it anyway. Ben could be wrong. His mouth gapes open and his eyes roll back in his meager head, in his meager head, making me feel like I'm the most retarded person he knows. But it's better than hearing him yell. He continues caressing the tire and squinting. Yes, my question must have been so stupid that it didn't warrant a verbal response. I rest my hand on the fender. Why don't you just humor me? Back the truck up a little and look. It is possible, you know. Alex tosses the keys to me. If you want to look so bad, move the damn truck yourself. I hop in the cab, start it, let it roll back. In the rearview mirror, I see Alex waving his arm, so I park to get out. I'll be damned, he says, pulling on a nail. The face, the look on his face saying, wow, and little old you knew that? He grabs a newly purchased can of Fix-A-Flat. Where in the heck did you run over a nail? It's been weeks since I've even driven his truck, but of course, it had to be me. You couldn't possibly have run over a nail. I'm glad, I'm just glad you found it, I say, strolling toward the house and straight to Ben's room where he's gluing a wing onto his model airplane. Honey, you were right. A nail was right where you said. I say, wondering if there's a connection between the hallucinations I've been having and Ben's newly discovered talent. If there is, what's the common... What's the common thread? And does it have anything to do with the demon I saw? Maybe we've opened the portal like I've, I've seen in horror movies. Ben looks up from his desk. What? Okay. Somebody just turned me in for the story. I told you I saw it. Did I have a vision, Mom? 
I tell Ben, I guess that's that's a good word for it, and not to say anything. If Alex is about uncanny, if Alex knew about Ben's uncanny ability, he'd accuse Ben of being nuts like me. After dinner, I'm scraping turtle cookies from the pan when Alex gives a war whoop for the Cardinals' win over the Cubs in the season opener and says to the boys, you two want to help stack some firewood for, camp, for a campfire? Isaac squeals. Heck yeah. My little fire starters run to the closet and bound past me, wiggling into their jackets and hang out on the side door. Alex nudges up behind me, and I feel his lips smooch the nape of my neck that's peeking out from either side of my ponytail. His breath on my neck tickles and I jerk away. I want to rest in his arms, but but that's just the thought of it feels needy, and as if I'm admitting I deserve his disrespect, and I don't. He owes me so many apologies that I've lost tally. The silent kisses he offers are meager collateral for such an outstanding depth. He pinches my nipples and heads outside. I finish the dishes and stagger down the hillside wearing a yellow hoodie and a purple toboggan toward the blazing fire. A bag full of makings of s'mores in my hand. Isaac first spot Isaac's first spot to me first to spot me. Mom, you look like a dork. I can easily pass as a hobo, and I just don't care. With a chill in the air in the April air, the heat from the magnetic fire pulls me closer, joining three of the most important men in my life. I skim the area for a chair and notice one lying on the ground by Alex. I feel like pouting. He would open it for any other woman who was there with him. This dork has treats, I say, handing the bag to Isaac. Better not call my name call me names anymore, or no some words for you. I bend toward the chair, but Alex picks it up and folds it and places it beside his. Thanks, I say, feeling sorry for assuming he wouldn't be he wouldn't be a gentleman. Maybe my expectations do manifest like the secret describes. But what just happened was the opposite. I expected him not to open the chair for me, but he did so, and I am creating my own reality. I really want to grasp this idea of manifesting my desires, but I have to understand all the principles if it is going to make it work. I push two marshmallows into my roasting stick while Isaac animates his version of SpongeBob's latest hit, sparking laughter from all glowing faces. Sitting in the faint light of a crescent moon, I'm not sure if the fire, the celestial view, or simply my attitude is responsible for the warmth soothing, soothing my insides. But whatever's responsible, I know I want this feeling to last. Alex pokes Ben with a branch. So how's the not, how's the not girlfriend? Ben reigns in a grin and kicks a stone onto the place that's jutting out of the on, into a place into place that's jutting out of the home, homemade circle of surrounding the blaze. How many times she call you today? Two, three, Alex says, swirling his finger in the air until it points towards me. You know, your mom was always calling and chasing me too. My husband's eyes twinkling in the firelight. I pucker my lips and pedal pedal my elbows in the air like I'm running for Olympic cold. She caught me. Man, should have run faster. Alex robust laughter splits my eardrum. He laughs as hard as he yells. The awesome feeling of cozy contentment I had just moments ago is gone. I feel like I'm crying. But I tilt my head demurely in Alex's direction and smile like I totally believe he's joking. But I know he wishes he hadn't been caught. Trapped like a tiger in a snare. The boys don't seem to notice. The coolness crashing through the comment, and I won't be pointing it out. I smash a marshmallow between graham crackers. How'd the interview with Hank's neighbor go the other day? Yes, suspect? That was nothing, just rumors, Alex says. Biting off a square of Hershey bar, the neighbors, an orthodontist, and that just moved in beside Hank and had the property line surveyed before he thought 
you bought the place. There's no dispute. Oh, gee, you mean that huge house finally sold? That took forever. People around here just don't have that kind of money. Yep, sold for 40, 400 grand, Alex says, glancing at each of the boys. Hope neither of you need braces. <laughs> I don't want to help pay for someone's half a million dollar home. Dad. Mom said there's a mafia here. She did? Alex resting his hand on mine. Yesterday, we did, a, we did question two mafia loot drug dealers who Hank was helping us build a case against. Hank was making buys from them. If they found out Hank was helping us, they would have had a reason to kill him, but I couldn't get either of them to cooperate. Alex's hand is heavy on mine. I feel Hank up to the chair, and I don't like it. He says something crass, but then he's nice. I never know what to expect. Well, I do know one thing. I know the cycle well. Looking over my shoulder to Alex, I ease my hand from under his. They wouldn't talk? You losing your touch? Yeah, right. Those scum buckets layered up, lawyered up, couldn't touch them. Alex blows on his blazing marshmallow. At least the autopsy's back. What's what's a top C, Dad? Alex asks. Ben beams Isaac with a jumbo marshmallow. Goober, he says. Autopsy. That's what the police do when they're not sure how a person died. Well, it's what the ME does. But, Dad, what's ME stand for? Medical examiner, Alex says. So the medical examiner, Ben says, cuts the body open and checks for wounds and traumas. Can the ME tell me what type of gun killed Hank? Alex says, yep, a single gunshot from a 30-gauge shot from close range killed him. Bullet passed straight through his head, blew his brains out the back. Wow. That's great trauma. Wow, that what trauma is, Isaac says, squeezing a gooey marshmallow between his fingers like it's Play-Doh. Duh, Ben says, through a mouthful of goo. Ben looks at his dad, so he probably knew the person who shot him because it was a close shot. You're going to make a heck of an officer one day, Ben. Also, Hank's back and shoulders had lacerations. That's cuts, like he's been dragged over rough service. Alex pops a toasted marshmallow into his mouth and leans over, pretending to kiss me as it dangles from his teeth. Ew, Isaac says and wrinkles his nose at Ben. I lean in and kiss my temperamental hubby, part of my lips on the warm marshmallow and part on his cold pucker lip. Alex says, about time to wrap up this, sh this shindig, boys. Got school tomorrow. Isaac screams and Ben and I duck as an entire flock of bats screech through. For a second, it looks like every bat in town is rallying at our campfire. Whoa, Ben yells as they dart off into the night as quickly as they flew in. That was crazy. Alex leans back and laughs. Scared you, didn't it? Wait till you're an officer and you've got to walk into a pitch black house not knowing where some butthole is going to be hiding. When was you the scariest, Dad? Alex says, looking into the darkness behind me. A lady hiding with a gun in her living room scared the living hell out of me. We went to her house looking for her boy who had just robbed one of, one of his neighbors. The electric had been turned off, so Gilmore and I had to search the whole house by flashlight. We made one swoop through and found nothing. So we're walking back through the living room and hear a thud, and there's this 50-year-old woman holding a gun on us. It was by the grace of God I didn't drop her right there. She was wedged between a box on the wall. We missed her. And Alex rubs the heart, heart side of his chest. Something that simple can get you killed. Hey, the bats reminded me, Ben says, scanning the party shadow faces. Did you hear about what happened at old man Robinson's place after he died? His grandson, Caleb, said his grandpa took over the body of his parrot. <laughs> what? Alex says, peering around like he's expecting the bats to reconvene and take over his. 
How did he do that? Alex rolls his eyes and says, yeah, I saw, I saw Bigfoot in the backyard. Ben digs his boots into the ground. Seriously, Dad, Caleb, his mom, his sister, moved into his grandpa's house before he died. They bought a parrot and, and started say, saying stuff like, I need to finish the roof on the front porch, just like his grandpa would say. The parrot talked about all the house repairs his grandpa had told Caleb and his mom that he wanted to make, even though his grandpa died before they bought the parrot. Weird, huh? Baloney, Alex says. Spirits in the Bible could transfer from being from one being to another, Alex, I say. Don't you believe the Bible? Of course, I believe the Bible. But that kind of stuff's not in there. Ghosts taking over birds, BS. Alex clicks open a picture on his cell and hands it to Isaac. Look at those muscles on that dude. Isaac passes the phone to Ben, and I figure I might as well deviate from the spirit topic. Alex would rather look at something he can't master, like muscles, than the identity called spirit that he can't actually see. He says he believes in God, and I believe he does. But he always changes the subject anytime spirit or ghost or scriptures comes up. I've only seen a demon in my mirror once. But just because I can't see it all the time, it doesn't mean it's not him all the time. It's not there all the time. Maybe the demon I saw is influencing my thoughts and actions, even though it's not inside me. Maybe it's making me perceive Alex's comments out of context, skewing my view of him and making me want to go with other guys. Ultimately, maybe I'm just as much at fault as our flailing marriage as Alex is. I got a new student a few days ago, I say, trying to distract myself from my own thoughts. He walked into class, and I swear he was a parent. He looked like he was at least 25. Anyway, I asked him if he had a visitor's pass, and the students, who all knew him, of course, say, Mrs. Templeton, he's a student. His name's Matt. Savvy, good grief. Is there a reason you're telling me this? Alex pops open the Dr. Pepper. My tongue toils inside my mouth until I can form enough spit to swallow. Yes, Alex, his name is Matt Boggs. I guess why he was expelled from, I guess, and guess why he was exposed from high school. Alex stabs a prong through, through a hot dog and dangles it over the fire. I don't want to guess, just tell me. He's the student that took a gun to school last year. Now you know what I deal with every day, Alex says. I fold up my chair. If only Alex could see what I deal with every day, just trying to communicate with him. Okay. That's it for today. Let's find out why TikTok canceled my, my, my live here. Hang on. Somebody turned me in and complained. So what else is new, right? I have to be able to read this. I'm off for five days. Let's see what it says. My life, I don't get to come back till the 7th. They provide guidance. I don't agree with any of this. How can it do? Guidance is what is. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to go ahead and find out who the hell did this. Somehow it's not community guidelines to read the book when I had permission from the author. So I'll have to figure out who the hell. There's somebody probably out there, you know, because we were talking about church and whatnot, probably got their panties in a bunch and turned me in on TikTok. I mean, I've been doing this for like two months now. I never had a problem. So somebody got somebody got their panties in a bunch. So I get a TikTok break for the until the 7th, but I'm going to try and appeal it tonight. Anyway, um, tomorrow is the show is going to be at 10 o'clock in the morning, Pacific. 
and it's going to be with Lori Ditto. And Lori Ditto is a is a pastor, or pastor's assistant rather, or she's a church, you know, church person who actually is a seer. She calls herself a seer, which you know is psychic, however you want to say it. And she uh, when she she had a vision of hell. And she has quite the story to tell about her description of hell. But she not only had a vision of hell, she had a vision of heaven as well. And so her message now, she has a book out about this. Her message is to tell people what's out there when you pass on, you know, what's possible, what could happen to you if you don't live a clean life and all that kind of thing. So she's going to be here at 10 a.m. tomorrow, Pacific. So I'll be looking forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. And of course, because it's an early record, you guys that are working tomorrow and don't get a chance to see it can watch it in the evening. Okay. Also, I did a pre-record today again with our good friend, Ralph Ellis. And it was about, um, oh my God, my mind is like, I'm so tired right now. Um, anyway, I did a pre-record with Mark Ellis today and I will have that up at the Patreon, uh, later on this evening. Okay. And I think you guys will like it. And it's a two hour pre-record. So uh, you can watch it at your convenience, and uh, you should you guys should check out the Patreon. I'm telling you, I mean that's a way to this violation thing's gonna make me crazy. Um, that's a way to um, could have been the violence that Alex, you know, part of it, you know, with the with the uh, guy and his kid, you know. And I was trying to skip around and clean it up a lot. Um, it's a way for you to see these these these, these pre-records in advance. So uh, that pre-record is not going to show for two weeks on the on the on this regular channel. So you can go ahead, if you're a member of the Patreon, you can go ahead and see it ahead two weeks. And it's your convenience whenever you want to do that, right? Um, I also am working on the Tinkerbell thing, and I should have that done this week as well. But uh, I, I encourage you to go to the Patreon. It's, it's really cool. Nancy's going to get together with me, I think, Wednesday or Thursday, and we're going to do an hour session where you could ask Nancy questions that you, did, you didn't normally get to ask on the regular show on Friday. So that's going to be the first extra guest we have. And I'm going to try and get Ralph Ellis to come in and do a question and answer thing too over there. Okay. But there's going to be all kinds of stuff happening at the Patreon. The more people that join, I've ordered cups, I've ordered stickers, I've ordered all this stuff. And there's going to be giveaways over there as well. So, you know, for, for the subscribers, you know, once a month we'll do giveaways and stuff like that. But uh, come on over to the Patreon and uh, just, just Google California Haunts Radio Patreon. And you can get in that way and uh, come join the Patreon because we're going to be doing a lot of really cool stuff over there. Okay, so if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with your enemies. Uh, we're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And uh, we're just trying to spread the word and keep the word spread. And this month, I am proud to announce that our RSS feed being Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts and all those other podcast things, we are 500 above where we were last month, and that's downloads of people listening to the show. 500. So that is really cool, and I'm really happy. I mean, I'm really excited about that. And it's all because you guys are listening and you're sharing the show with other people. I'm really stoked and excited about that. All right? I want to remind you, too, I have that uh, class coming up next Saturday, and I have, what, eight spaces left on that class right now. It's a $15 class. And I'm going to teach you protection techniques that you can protect your house, you can protect your animals, you can protect your, you know, protect yourself. But it's different techniques than you're probably used to hearing, because I've been doing a lot of research on this. And there's some, there's some, uh, there's some protection meditations and other things to teach. And I intend to teach that. And this is going to be the, the this class that I'm teaching next Saturday. It's a two-hour class.
Safeties. I mean, you can pick up a negative energy at Safeway when you're shopping, right? Somebody has negative energy coming off of, you know, the next thing you know, you bring it home and your life turns to crap, right? You know, you've had those days where everything you touch turns to crap. Well, that's what that class is about. So um, if you're interested in learning that stuff, go to the California, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup. It's free to sign up over at Meetup, okay? And all that happens at Meetup is that it's just like being on Facebook or wherever you get notifications when there's new shows or, or things going on, okay? It's just a place to quote, quote, meet up, right? So go on over there, sign up, and um, sign up for the class because it's going to be a really good class. It's a two-part class. The first part's going to focus on a certain bunch of stuff, and then the second part's going to focus on the second part, obviously. But we're really going to go into the whole uh, thing of how to protect. We're going to learn to use different uh, herbs like sage, you know, what works well, what doesn't work well. You know, uh, med- like I said, meditations, different things like that to learn how to protect yourself. And you can even protect your car, your properties, whatever you have. But uh, I'm going to be teaching that. And that'll be next Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific. So head on over to the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup. In the meantime, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Oh, wait a minute. 10, 10 a.m. Pacific. See, I'm getting lost here. So I'll see you guys tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. Have a great rest of your evening, and uh, I'm going to have to find out what the hell went wrong with my read. Okay, have a great day.